Stand at Ease, episode 15, Saturday, April 2nd, 2011. So those thoughts, uh, you know, they're ingrained in me. There's a Taliban stronghold and uh, a lot of poppy production was coming out of there. Uh, you know, one thing my wife and I, we never pushed the military, we pushed education. John, if you could start out, what, what brought you to the Marines? Welcome, welcome, welcome. After a nine-minute delay, we're finally on the show. It's my fault. The lesson to be learned is don't upgrade to the newest Skype a couple of hours before you cut your show. At any rate, I'm going to do something a little bit different, as I always do this. Over to my left, DBR and Christian up there in North Dakota. Up there. Hey, it's not too bad up here today either. No, no, not too bad at all. And over to my right, my conservative right, James L. Johnson Jr., just outside of the recovering Detroit, Michigan. Welcome aboard, Jim. Thank you very much. Good to hear from all of you. Yeah. Who's our guest today? Yeah, well, David, David, I'm going to have you do the intro on all this stuff, so take it away, buddy. All right, today our, our guests are John and Anthony or Rocco DePrimo. I served with John back at the 24th mile, back when there was still a mile. We did a med float together in 86. Uh, he was my one of my radio corporals, and John and I had a very fun and interesting relationship. Um, we we really didn't David, like each other David, much. David, first of all, what you've just yeah. described, or at least started to describe before I had to interrupt. Yes. Any relationship with you is an interesting one. Uh, that's true. And so it's not unique to him, and of course, nobody likes you, David. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, please hey, call hey, Dave, Your wife likes me. <laughs> yeah, Rock or JJ. Hey, well, um, can you introduce who James and Garland is to Rock or myself? Oh, sure. yes, of course. Wow, that's just harsh, isn't it? Well done, David, huh? Well, uh, Garland, Garland was uh, a fellow recruit with me back in uh, Platoon 399, Kilo Company, 3rd uh-huh. Recruit Battalion, MCRD San Diego. And James had the pleasure of making us into Marines. Okay, outstanding. outstanding. He was our drill instructor, if you will. Uh-huh. And he was he was one badass motor scooter, still is. Yeah. He can thumb wrestle anybody in a bar, I can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's if we don't get thrown out. Well, I'm sure. If, if we're deteriorating to a thumb wrestle, Jim, we should be thrown out. That's right. That's right. I agree with you there. Then our, our other guest this morning is Anthony Rocco DePrimo, who is John's son. And I think this is our first case where we've had a multi-generational Marine family as guests for us. It is, and thank you guys for uh, for agreeing to come on board. So I want to make sure that I get this right. Um, JJ, you are, you are in um, North Carolina right now, is that right? No, I'm in Florida. You're in Florida. Yes. And so... I'm... I'm stationed in North Carolina. John's in North Carolina. Excellent. No, no. Rocco's in North Carolina. There you so go. Would, somebody, would somebody walk me through this? I'm falling apart like a dollar watch. <laughs> okay, I'm out of so, here, man. This is not so, my day. Okay, Gar. So here's how it's real simple. John is the father. He's out of the Marines. He's a deputy sheriff down in Florida. You got that now? Did you write that note so, for your so, son? So good. And then his son is Rocco, who is still in act, on active duty, stationed in North Carolina. Okay. I love using my professor voice with you. I do appreciate. <laughs> I do appreciate the condescending nature. You're you welcome. At any rate, let's get this show on the road. Thanks, guys, for coming on board. We we really appreciate it. And and I um I want to ask if you had an opportunity to listen to any of the Standardies podcasts uh, before. I my... have some in the past. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. So you kind of know how we're going to do this. This is going to be a free flow, let it ride kind of deal. What I'd like to do is first, you know, if we could, we got your bios and stuff, but John, if you could start out, what what brought you to the Marines? Um, you know, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I can remember as young as maybe seven or eight years old. It was just two things I wanted to do. One was to be a Marine and one was to be a cop. And I, I mean, that's the only thing that I, I can remember far back as about seven or eight, eight, nine years old. I wanted to be a Marine. Well, that, that doesn't sound strange. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a Marine, too. So, I mean, I, I can understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, John, you've achieved both. You were yep. in the Marines, and now yep. you're a deputy sheriff there. Yeah. So you've yeah. been able to achieve both of your goals in life. 
pretty, you pretty fast. In, uh, you went to Marine Corps in 81, June of 81, correct? Correct. Down at Paris Island. And, and oh, yes. Rocco, Rocco, you went to Paris Island also, correct? Uh, yes, sir. Back in uh, 2006. John, did you go to the graduation ceremony? Oh, yes, sir. I sure did. And I'll bet that was the first time you set foot at Paris Island since you were in boot camp, right? Um, no, I I went back. Um, I was on I&I duty in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh-huh. And we had to go to Buford from time to time to get our equipment repaired. So I've been back to Paris Island since I graduated. But since I've been out of the Corps, I haven't been back. Well, I, I've got to think that that had to be one of the most proudest moments in your life to watch your son go through graduation. It was it was pretty awesome. It was um, it was like double-edged sword because you're sitting in the stands and you're looking at these young cocky guys and you say, you know, I, that was me once. So, you know, I, I'm very proud of him. I was very proud, but at the same time, I was kind of envious too because I, I wish I, I, I could still have been in. Yeah, there's something about that, and I don't know what it is, but uh, there's something about that that just brings back just a rush of memories, and you just want to be part of it because you know what kind of, you know what kind of voyage in life he's about to go on. Yes. Rocco, what prompted you to go into the Marine Corps? Uh, honestly, uh, you know, I've been in for five years now, and you know, people still ask me now, and it's still kind of difficult for me to answer it. You know, it's just one of those things. Is right time, and it's just something that I felt I needed to do at that time. But why the Corps? It wasn't the Army, wasn't the Navy, wasn't the Air Force? Was it because your dad was in the Marine Corps? Uh, no, sir, not really. Honestly, uh, I remember uh, I was in seventh grade, and I first found out about the Naval Academy. And uh, I looked into it, you know, didn't really think much about it. And then, uh, you know, it was high school, you know, college applications start coming in. Uh, you know, going on to that next step, I applied to the Naval Academy. I went through the process, you know. Uh, congressional nomination uh, boards and stuff like that. Went up there and visited and toured. And uh, honestly, I didn't get in to the Naval Academy, but I knew I wanted to be a Marine. Uh, and after that, I just uh, you know got home one day and told my dad, I was like, hey, you know, let's let's go do this. Let's go talk to the recruiter. You and, know, when, uh, when you went through boot camp, did you think of your dad at any given time that he had <clears throat> gone through something similar to what you were experiencing? Oh yeah, I've always, uh, you know, I always think about the the ones before. You know, they've I always think they always have it worse than you know I actually have it. Well, you know what? It was bad. It was bad. You, I doubt you could have made her back when we were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. Just so you know, isn't that right, John? Uh, well, you know, I, I want to interject with, with uh, James X Rocco about what made him join the Corps. Uh, you know, one thing my wife and I, we never pushed the military. We pushed education. But he couldn't escape it because, you know, I, I always talk about my time in. I always reminisce with him about it. We went to um, 8th and I to, to the evening parade. Sounds like we dropped. No, he'll be back. John will be back. John, you there, buddy? Parade, you know, one, one summer. And I did. When he saw that I was proud of being a Marine, and I still love Marine Corps. I'm sorry. You there? Yeah, yeah, yep. we're good. Yep. Okay, good. And I think maybe that might have also had an influence on him why he decided to become a Marine. Is so, John. Before he left for boot camp, did you sit down and have a little talk with him about what to expect? Um, I think we did. I'm sure we we did because I've always tried to be fatherly and give him advice and talk to him. And you know, it's like talking to a brick wall, but I still try to. <laughs> <laughs> is that true Rocco at times you know it's just you know in our family all the men are just stubborn I think that's just in general you know <laughs> Rocco I, I, I've got two sons and uh, trust me that's a father son love <laughs> you know about the issue as you know keep in mind I, I'm curious John you know you'd mentioned that you never pushed the military you pushed education and here we are 2004 uh, Rocco decides that he wants to join the Marine Corps, and we're sitting here at a time of war. What's running through your mind at that particular juncture? I'm like, okay, let's do this. Um, you know, if that's what you want to be. If you want to be a Marine, then I'm going to support you. I'm going to support my son. 
Um, you know, he, he went through wrestling. We went through Taekwondo. We went through all this judo. We did everything. And whatever he endeavored, you know, my, my thing was as a dad, I need to support my son. So he wanted to be a Marine, and I had no no fears about war because in, in, in society, you know, you can cross the street and get hit by a, a car. You know, things happen in life. You know, Jim has always been the kind of person who he's said on several shows, and we've had an opportunity to talk in person offline. And, you know, his talk of, talk has always been about if it's your time, and it's your time. And, it, you know, I, I, I personally believe that as well. But I'm curious <clears throat> to what, you know, as a parent, you know, even though you say that and you're a former Marine and, and you've done it, you, you're in and out, you're a cop, you're out on the streets, you're putting yourself at risk every day. So I can only imagine that your um, understanding of risk is slightly different than someone else's that's listening to the shows. Understanding is at risk. So if you are a parent who's listening to the show right now and, and you could say the one thing to that parent that's listening, John, about letting your kids do that, what would you say about that experience? You know, I'm letting my child go. This is what he wants to do. And you talk about supporting that. What, what is that advice or thought process that you would give I, to that person? I would say knowing that how well our Marines train and how much they, they, you know, I'm going to put it out there, they love each other. There is a love that I've seen these men that care about each other that I know that they would have went through the hells of fire for him, and it didn't bother me. I never feared about something bad happening to him. We prayed, and we trusted his training, and we trusted the Marine on the right and left of him, and we, you know, we, we just let, let things be. You know, that, that's something I have to agree with you about. You know, there's something about the Corps. Anybody who's ever been a Marine, it's different. It really is. And in a combat situation, I spent 66, 67, 68, 69 in uh, Vietnam, and I was always in the front action end of it. And I never worried about my left or my right or my back because I knew it was always covered. There was yeah. never a doubt in my mind. Uh, that makes a big difference. I'm curious, Rocco, if I can, I'd like to ask you a question about, you know, being, you know, we've had several shows in which we talk about when you separate from the core and you separate from service in general, what what it's like to, to be different. What is it, what is different in being able to come back and talk to your dad, who's not only your dad, but also a, a brother, a, a brother. What's that like? It's a it's a different bond, uh, definitely now. Uh, once once I joined the Marine Corps, uh, actually, the bond between myself and my dad actually grew. You know, I was I went from being a wild, rebellious, you know, high school kid, uh, and you know, starting to you know go down wrong paths, and then you know, actually, Marine Corps was actually very good for me. You know, it made me grow up as a man, and uh, you know, gives you those life lessons, and you have to grow up. You know, you have to. Pretty much, you got to change your ways, or you're not gonna you're not gonna be successful in it. And Dad helped you with that, or the Marine Corps helped you understand your dad. Just in, ge- yeah, just in general, like um, you know, through everything, uh, just the different experiences that the Marine Corps threw at me, and uh, you know, just it was just a lot easier after that. You know, just going through a lot of different things and just relating back, you know, talking back to Dad, and you know, it, the bond, you know, just everything, just. You know, mutual ground was you know reached, and we just started to bond more and more. And actually, like my family in general. Does your family talk? Do you does, do you have circles of conversation amongst your family? How, how many other folks that, that you would say that were in your not your immediate family, mom, brother and sister, and that, that immediate immediate, but close circle of immediate family around you? Do you get an opportunity to to talk about it, or or have other folks that are in the in the military as well? Oh, I and mean, this is always a topic of discussion, especially, you know, between each other uh, and, you know, not so much between the family because, you know, they're, they're there for support. You know, we don't really go too much in depth of, uh, you know, uh, Marine Corps this, Marine Corps that, but it's just, you know, the support system is there and that's, you know, it's been a big help. How many other Marines do you know right now whose, whose fathers or, or mothers are, were in the Corps? Um... Honestly, I know a few. I mean, I can't give you a number off the top of my head, but, you know, just uh, friends and, uh, you know, Marines that uh, are under me or whatnot, you know, there are a handful, probably about, you know, under 10 
just right off the bat. So you will admit freely here that you are in an elite uh, an elite situation. Uh, yeah, I guess you could say that. Yeah, yeah I can. Yeah. I can say that. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are, and it's very interesting because I, I, my father was in was in the National Guard. I would, I would love to have had my dad been a United States Marine to be able to be in that situation where you can come in and have those conversations. Much less. Yeah, yeah go ahead, man. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, just like you know, my dad was saying earlier, it didn't matter what branch of service I did join. You know, they were going to support me no matter what. You know, it just so happened that, you know, I chose the Marine Corps. And honestly, I think it was just, you know, one of those things. I don't know. I, I, there are memories in my mind that, you know, back as a kid, you know, just dad playing softball with other Marines. And, you know, I remember just being there and I just it just seemed, you know, just it was right. Yeah. Yes, John, what, whenever you uh, when you had Rocco, you were in the Marine Corps. Yes, sir. OK, so he had a little taste of it. How long yes. was he around in the Marine Corps before you got out? You served, what, 13 years or something? Yes, I did. I was in for 13 years. Um, my last deployment, we were going to um, to the back end of Desert Storm, and um, we had a gunny. He he was a great gunny. He lived in our apartment complex at Gunnery Sergeant Morris. He was the battery gunnery sergeant. And my wife and, and son were standing on the curb as we were getting ready to leave. And I could see the fear in Rocco's eyes because, you know, of all the equipment, the machines, you know, everything. He, I could see, actually see the fear in his eyes. And they were crying as we were pulling out the bus. And that was hard. That was really rough. And that's when I realized it was time to get out. Mm-hmm. How, how was your wife whenever you went away on deployment? Did she, I mean, what, what kind of rank were you at? The reason I'm asking you is we're going to have a guest on in another uh, week or two who has an organization called Helping Hands. And what this woman does, she takes food out to Camp Pendleton. You know and I know, you know, your E1s, E2s, E3s, sometimes even higher up. They have a hard time making ends meet with a family. Yes. we were. I was a sergeant, newly married. I, you know, I had gotten divorced from her first uh, marriage, got custody of Rocco, remarried. And um, I was an E5. I was just, you know, a sergeant. And it was hard. There were times when we were like, where are we going to get money for food? And, um, but she was a strong girl, you know, she had family close by, she, she's from Sumter, South Carolina, <clears throat> so it was like a six hour drive for her to go home, and we got married in June, and that September I was deployed. Wow. So, wow, you know. it, yeah, it was a quick, you know, turmoil time for her, but she, she stood her ground, she uh, used that time to bond with Rocco, they, they spent a lot of time together, they got real close together. And um, it was, it was, she made the best out of a bad situation. You know, asking you, uh, Rocco went to uh, Afghanistan. And what was your wife's reaction at that time, knowing that her son was in harm's way that way? Oh, she was, she was scared. I'll be honest with you. She was, she was scared. But I think what helped us was Rocco, before he went to Six Marines, he was with Fast Company. And we got invited to come up there in uh, Virginia for a Marine Corps birthday ball. And we got to see really firsthand, or she got to see firsthand, just how close they were and just how much they, they cared about each other, looked out for each other. And I think that helped her out a lot when he got deployed to Afghanistan. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, that, yeah, a very that interesting is. perspective. Yeah, well, without a doubt. You were in Desert Storm. How long were you there? It was, um, I, you know, I didn't see any combat oper- operations or anything. It was a six-month deployment. We, we went in on uh, the back end of it, continuing support. So we did, you know, regular field ops and things of that nature. But we were there for um, six months. And you were in artillery at that time, right? Right, right. I was a radio operator. I was the, uh, actually the communications chief. Gotcha. The, uh, the okay. Kilo battery, 3rd battalion, 12th Marines, attached to 310. What, 25-something? 2531. We got a 20 yep. and, and you're 2511, right? Uh David 2512. Uh, field, uh, field radio uh field telephone. Hey, are you ready? 2542. <laughs> the 2500s are well <laughs> represented here, man. <laughs> and now our jobs don't even exist, huh? Uh, no, they don't. It's all 8000 numbers. Yep. Rocco, you you were in 03 and then you went into uh, Marine Security Guard, is that correct? Yes, sir. I have a, actually a few uh, MOSs. 
my primary is you know, I'm an O three eleven uh, in infantry, mm-hmm. and then uh, my BM my, my second MOS as uh, I you know I did the uh, basic security guard school, and once you go through that, you know we went to Fast Company. Uh, that MOS was uh, what was that eighty one fifty two. And uh, I also have another one while I was at FAST. Uh, I became a uh, martial arts instructor there. And uh, so I'm also a 09, 16, or 17. It's one of 09, 16, or 17. I can't remember which one. but uh, So, you know, I have three different MOSs, but my primary is, yeah, I'm an 0311. Gotcha. Yeah, I was too, son. <laughs> O three eleven, O three sixty nine, eighty five eleven, and all kinds of nonsense. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to to read Jim's bio, but if you ever get an opportunity, you're talking to, and I I'm, I have no quorum stepping out of line here, Jim. You're talking to a Navy cross holder who's seen some really ugly shit, and yeah. uh, and, and, and you know he served his nation, and you guys are all doing this kind of stuff. And and if well, those, when you were in Afghanistan, Rocco, you were a squad leader. Yes, sir. You need to tell. You need to explain your situation and how you became a squad leader. <laughs> um, yeah, it's kind of interesting, actually. I don't even to this day. I never really questioned or asked why it happened the way it did. But uh, I, when, when I came to uh, Six Marines, I started out as a team leader. Uh, you know, just a regular team leader at NCO, and uh, my squad leader. Yeah, he hey, was. Just, uh, there you go. Can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you. Okay. Um, when I got six Marines, I was a team leader, and then uh, literally, uh, it was like the week before pre-deployment leave, uh, my platoon sergeant came up, and they were like, hey, you're a squad leader, he's going somewhere else, and they were like, uh, you're going to take the squad, and I was just like, all right, uh, you know, I was kind of kind of nervous at first, because I knew that, you know, we were about to do this big operation, and, uh, you know, I just made the best of what I could, and uh, it turned out well. What rank were you when that happened? Uh, I was a corporal. Yeah. Yeah. How many years in? How many years in were you at that time as a corporal? Um, I think I was around like three and a half. Well, I lose you guys again. No, I'm good. Is everybody there? Oh, okay. Yeah. Are you about three and a half years in? Then you were made a uh, squad leader. Yes, sir. Okay. And did you see did you see action when you were in Afghanistan? Yeah, yes, we did. Okay. It was very kinetic. Got it. Got it. What What did you think of the people? It's uh, it was one of those situations. Uh, you know, good people just in bad situations. You know, um, they're there, and it seemed like it, you know while we were there. It was really hard to uh, to pretty much turn that area, you know, Taliban stronghold, and then make it to where you know the population was, you know, at ease with Marines. This was the first time uh, a lot of them had actually seen, you know, Americans because uh, Marja, that's where we uh, actually made our invasion into uh, in 2010. Was a uh, it was a Taliban stronghold, and uh, a lot of poppy production was coming out of there. And so, you know, the people, it was really hard at first, you know, to get a lot of them to, you know, help us along the ways. And you know, it was really rough on us. But, you know, eventually, you know, with time and, you know, building trust with, uh, with the population over there, we were able to, you know, to get, you know, people to help us out and, and pretty much go on from there. You know what's so fascinating is that uh, the area that you were in, that was heavily controlled by Russians at one time whenever they were there during their occupation. And that country is one of the poorest educated countries that there is around. But it's extremely rich in minerals and everything. Right. Uh, It's fascinating on it. I mean, they're into a tribal sense in that area. That's what controls that poppy area from what I'm led to believe. Uh, it, it, that is, that's fascinating. Uh, would you go back again? I would in a heartbeat, honestly. I would. would now, the, will you get that opportunity before, to do before that? we go, no, I think you're getting ready to go out, aren't you? Are you ready to get out of the Marine Corps? Uh, yes, uh, you know, just different situations arose, uh, you know, and 
pretty much I needed to make the best decision for myself, and that was for me to get out of the Marine Corps. But yet, if you were called upon oh, yeah. to do it, you would go back. And why is that? Because that's something people don't understand about a warrior. Why he would put himself in harm's way. It's just, it's my boys, you know, those are my guys. And, yeah. uh, you know, I want to make sure that they come back, you know. And I'm at ease with it only now because the guys that I led last year, you know, they've they've gone and now they're not going to be doing the same exact jobs. They've pretty much been tasked out. They're not going to be, you know, boots on the deck anymore. They're going to be... Uh, you know, different things, working with A&A or the Afghans, uh, you know, just different little jobs that they were able to pretty much get hooked up with and uh, get them out of being very kinetic. And so uh, I was at Every, the Everything changes when you become a squad leader, doesn't it? It does. It really does. Yeah. It's much different than, you know, if you're part of a squad or even a fire team leader. Once you become the squad leader, it's just a, a huge, huge change with it. And I think the transition was very easy for me, honestly. Like, I mean, just getting thrown into it, you know, that was just a bad situation. But the transition was easy with the guys, you know, uh, just the way that we operated and just our bonds between the squad already were tight. And when I took over the squad, it still remained tight. And honestly, like when we were in Afghanistan, we would I would just take my squad on, you know, three day ops by ourselves or because just I'd just enjoyed being with them so much and I didn't like being you know with the rest of the platoon so I'd get my boys we'd you know stock up on channel water and we go away for three days come back resupply and go back out you know that's how we rolled for you know two months on our own oh yeah yeah no I know exactly and you actually you and I'm I would assume on some type of reconnaissance that the company had put together yeah, uh, we'd go out and do different OPs uh you know get surveillance on different parts of the area and just you yeah. know set up overwatches and you know most of most of the time just go down and pick a fight <laughs> no no i know exactly what you're saying i can i can relate to everything that you're talking about but once you're there it means uh, a tremendous I, I can't explain how much it means to you about the guys you serve with it's not so much on it to bond with them it's just <clears throat> they belong to you yeah they're not I, you have to take care of them. Yes, sir. And, uh, you know, I was talking to the guys. They're actually in California now doing a Mojave Viper training. They're going through, uh, you know, they're training to go back out. They're being deployed uh, in uh, the beginning of June. And so I, I brought them in, you know, all the guys from my original squad. And, you know, how it how it goes when you come back from deployment. You get a, a new drop of Marines and, you know, they get uh, filtered into the squads. But I brought all my old guys in and, uh you know, I told him, I was like, if you ever need anything, you know, no matter what, from now on, you know, you guys will always be my guys. And it was actually real emotional, but, uh, you know, they know. And uh, it's just... Do you find with uh, cell phones and Twitter and Facebook and everything, it's so much easier to keep track of uh, the guys that you served with? Oh, yeah. I have, uh, you know, the guys are out in California right now doing training, and they're sending me text messages just telling me about, you know, the different training and you know how much BS they're going through as usual and just I, I keep up with them as much as I can and even the guys that got out that were you know one of my team leaders I still talk to him you know we still keep communication we talk about you know maybe once or twice a month but you know we always always communicate John how, how about you whenever you got out you had 13 years and in, in, uh Right. Did you keep in touch with everybody, or no, no, not so much? No, no, not at all, and I kind of regret that. We didn't have all this fancy stuff we have today, and there's some men that I would love to get a hold of and see how they're doing, but, you know, I haven't been able to locate them. Well, you know, that's something that's extremely important for that adjustment factor. Whenever someone gets out, he's no longer in uniform, he can still reach out to those who he had served with, due to all the technology that we have in place today. Because you're absolutely right, you're a prime example. You know, you got out, uh, what was it, 94. Right. Whenever I got out the first time, I mean, Christ, uh, telephones, and that was it. There was no internet, there was no text, there was no nothing else. They had so. telephones when you got out the first time, Jim? <laughs> well, actually, they were cans with strings. Okay. And if you had a long enough string, you could talk to a lot of different people. If you had the right wax, Jim. Did you have the right, yeah, you got to have the right wax. 
technology seems a lot. You know what I used to do is make my neighbors take and string com wire down the street so I could talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Rocco, have you seen the uh, HBO spe- uh, documentary they had on the Battle of Marja? No, I haven't, actually. Uh, I, I didn't want to watch it. Okay. Yeah, I can understand that, too. I don't watch too many war movies. I, I, just, uh, I, I don't watch it too much. Because what happens is that, you know, all those things that you visited, they're going to stay with you. You just have to learn to make peace with them, that's all. But they'll still come back and knock on your door once in a while, and they'll get inside. They do. Yeah. So but since we're on this subject, let me uh, tell you what happened to me after I got out. I had vivid dreams. I mean, in color, I had dreams of being with my, my Marines on field ops and things like this. I'd wake up, and I would actually be confused for a first few seconds, not realizing where I was. Am I the only one who's gone through that? Oh, no, hell no. No, no, far from it. Not. I'll give you an example of just three nights ago. Uh, apparently, I was having a, a dream. I mean, I was. I was having a dream with hand-to-hand combat, and uh, unfortunately, my wife, once in a while, my hands swing up in the air with it, but she's put up with that for years. And it's it's something on it that uh, it comes and it goes. Yeah. You, can go, you can go a long time, and it never comes up. Uh-huh. But you might smell something, or something might be said, or you might see something on TV that clicks that you relate to, and then those thoughts start coming back again. I have learned to keep them out of my mind as much as I can because the, the devil, the devil's in the details. The more you saw, the more you did, oh, the yeah. more bit of it it is in your mind. Yeah. So no, you're not the only one, my friend. You know, there's millions of there's millions of us out there. When I do watch movies about the Marine Corps or, or things, usually not all the time, but sometimes that will you know I will dream that night. But you know, the further I get away from my time in, the the um, they lessen. There's not as many dreams. Jim, is there a strategy? You say you keep it out of your mind and you you kind of tamp it back down. Is there a strategy? That you have for that? You what? Is there a strategy? You know, you said that you you've learned how to tamp it down and how to how to you know kind of you know when it starts to pop up like that and you find places, but every once in a while a smell or a sound or something that somebody says will will trigger that again. What is the strategy if there is a strategy? Because I, I ask this question in all seriousness because I don't know what I have no concept of what that means of what you're dealing with there. How, how, how do you... What I try to do, Gar, and everyone's different, uh, you know, early in my life, and keep in mind, I saw an awful lot of combat, and I saw an awful lot of death, and I killed an awful lot of people. So those thoughts, uh, you know, they're ingrained in me. But what I try to do, and I've learned this probably, uh, it's probably in my 40s, and it started getting a lot easier for me. You know, I'm in my 60s now. But uh, what I try to do, anytime I feel those thoughts coming on, I try to fill my mind full of something that was happy and good and pleasant in my life. And sometimes, I, and sometimes I just can't do that, though. Yeah. And those thoughts start. And, and once they get inside your mind, <clears throat> then all of a sudden... Uh, they just consume the entire thing. And you, you literally, it's like watching a movie in your head. At least it is for me. You know, it's, it's like watching a movie in, in my head. And it's very vivid, it's very clear, very detailed. Uh, and, you know, it, it can be for seconds or it can last for a long time. But I, I, try, I try to think about something on it that's really positive or something that made me really happy. Yeah. And that, that helps me. You know, we ask this question, uh, Rocco, a lot of all of our guests that come on, and the, the conversation comes down to what role does or is alcohol playing in your life as you work through this process right now? Actually, uh, you know, I alcohol for me, uh, no, I just pretty much stay away from it for the most part. You know, I have a few beers with the boys every now and then, and, you know, maybe once or twice a month I go out 
you know, hit the bars with the guys, but, you know, it's nothing crazy because, you know, sometimes with the alcohol, you know, I, I saw what happens and I just, I knew that wasn't for me, you know, just watching other guys, you know, going through it. And actually one of my close friends, when we got back, you know, the dude was blown up nine times and he continued to stay and would not get medevaced. And, you know, he was all rattled TBI, which is, you know, traumatic brain injury. And he just refused purple hearts. And, you know, he just went to the bottle and then we had to kind of wean him off it. But, you know, I just I saw that and then I saw the effects, you know, the anger that comes with it. And I was just like, you know, I, I don't want that. And, you know, it kind of took him and myself, you know, like when we first got back, I saw, you know, when I went and got wild, it wasn't good. And I was just like, all right, that's it. Well, you've you know. you got to remember something, too, Bronco. You know, you're trained. And you can cause a lot of damage. And that's something that... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's something that you always have to be conscious of. I have oh, always yeah. been conscious of it in my life. Because when I lose my temper, I can become very dangerous. Oh, yeah. And, that, and that's, you know, that's one of those other things. It's, you know, I'll, I'll put it out there. I had to talk to a lot of people when we got back, you know. And they just... You know, and it helped. It really did. And that's why now it's, you know, I'm pretty at ease with it because, you know, I just had a year and a half of, you know, just pretty, just a rough time in my, you know, a rough time for me. And, you know, just I had to talk to someone. I had to get it out, you know. And well, no, I, I understand fully on it. You know, I didn't have someone that I talked to. That's why that uh, it's important that you keep positive thoughts in your head. And I have, I have so much. It's just pretty much like anything that negative comes down to it. Honestly, I have a picture, and uh, it's a picture of D-Day and uh, they're storming the beaches of Normandy, and it has you know the track with the uh, the drops down, and you just see the beaches, and you know you see all you know the beach and you know the barricades, and it just says on it, it just says harden the fuck up. Yeah. And when I look at that. <laughs> And I look at that, and I'm just like, you know, they had it so much worse. Or there's someone out there that has it worse than I do. And I look at it, and I look at my situation, and I'm really blessed. And so just go from there. You know, Rocco, I, I want to I ask you this. As you, as you sit there and you talk about going through this, and, th- and th- this, this particular conversation that we're having right now is about being able to have veterans and families of veteran members be able to come in and kind of stand at ease for a few minutes and, and kind of talk and share with other people who are, are stopping in. And the question that's running through my mind is, is I think about, you know, Jim said you would be willing to go back to Afghanistan if, if your nation called you in a heartbeat, even though you just shared with us that, that you struggled with everything that you could to, you know, to put that behind you. What What is it that you feel that you – gave to this country and gave to that effort that um, you would be willing to do that again? Is it a sense of duty? Because you've, you know, nobody can argue that either you or Jim or, or countless thousands and thousands of other people such as yourself have handed over a certain amount of innocence, a certain amount of luxury of never experiencing what you did. But you raised your hand and John supported you in that effort. You gave something to that, and what is it that's inside of you that would say I would even be willing to give more if called? You just gotta love it, you know. You, I love what I do. And Bucky, I think you know we come to a point where they no longer look at the fight as fighting for a country. I think they look at the fight as fighting for each other. We don't look at it for you know. Uh, this is this is where you know it gets tricky but you know we're over there because we have to be you know it's you know we're the best quote that i've ever seen it's uh we the unknown do the unwanted for the unwilling and exactly you know i saw that and it just hit home you know no one really knows what we're doing over there they just see you know the little news clips here and there but they don't see, you know, the day in, day out long patrols, you know, the 13 mile patrols that we go on. And, you know, it's, it's, it sucks. It's rough. 
and I, I really don't know what drives us to keep doing it except for you know the love of that we have for one another and we just continue to do it over and over again because we have to and just because we love one another so much that we just keep supporting each other and you know it's just the big brotherhood and we're just you know like we, we fight and you know it's just it's just like being home except you you know with your best friends and your brothers you know well there's something else there too that uh it's the excitement oh yeah <laughs> there there is there is nothing you can ever do in life ever do in life i mean john you're a cop and you know what it is on it for to be in a stressful situations yes. but in combat there's nothing like that in the world and to do it over and over and over again uh it's you know it, my tours in vietnam i volunteered for those i got three purple hearts i probably have three or four others i could have taken on it but i never took them you know it's the excitement you're lucky most of your unit was still intact i had probably one of the highest uh nutrition rates that there was because my squads were always the point squads always the lead contact squads and uh, we were in we were up north we were into a lot of hard shit on it you know but i know exactly what you're saying and it's very hard to put it in words and you always have to be careful right. when you explain that because people look at you with one eye open and think wow here i got myself a crazy on my hands <laughs> but that's yeah. that's really not it the camaraderie the excitement the adventure the true test of survival i mean it just it, it is it's a rush you can't compare with anything else i mean I, I was talking about it last night with uh you know one of my he's actually one of my best friends now and he was uh he was shot in afghanistan and uh you know we were talking and uh he's actually here but uh you know he he had a really long rough path he got shot in the leg he got shot in the hand you know got shot and stitched across his uh his sappies and he was out in the middle all by himself you know just dumping rounds just you know fighting fighting mm -hmm. fighting and you know nothing is more exciting or you know just the best feeling in the world is when you see fixed wings or you know rotary come on station just start dropping bombs and it's such a good feeling and, and just makes everything so much better and you know for that split second you know the world is fine you know everything's good no i i know exactly what you're saying someone else who's never experienced it again has one eye open saying uh oh you know but that's not the case when you're in combat you're there for one reason one reason only and that's to fight and die if need be but to kill as many of the others as you can before you go down we had a guest a few a few weeks ago a few shows ago who discussed what he called the 50 foot perimeter and that 50 feet around you is what is most important to you at that point in time but and honestly it's hard you know for me because you know i my my 50 feet expands you know i have you know I, I might have a team that's you know 100 meters away and i'm still on radios you know trying to integrate them with this other you know two teams and get them to you know mutually support one another and get their fires directed the right way it's a lot of work but you know when it, you see it all played out it's such an amazing feeling it's such an amazing thing to see are you okay. uh what, what what is your final final eas date I, uh, terminal leave starts May 2nd. Wow. Well, what are you going to do when you get out? I'm going to, uh, go to school and, uh, pursue a career in psychology. All uh, right. And Good why job. psychology? <laughs> Honestly, um, and, you know, pretty much after everything that happened, you know, I just, I started looking more into, uh, psychology because of, you know, just the help that I was getting. And it was just a real interesting subject and it just, just interests me so much i continue and just always learning from it and i just continuously learn and just interests me so much that i just want to continue and do that and then in turn you know help the future veterans that are having these problems or just you know in general just help other people and give back yeah make no mistake about it all the kids coming back from this conflict the conflicts before and the conflicts yet to come they're going to need all the help they can get and what's so good about right now is, is that they have support programs in place. I just read a great article about uh, a support group up in Boston. 
and they're all over the United States. I don't know where you went through yours at, but uh, people are becoming more and more aware of this stress. E- right. Even John, John, when you went to Desert Storm, I mean, you had a lot of troops involved in Desert Storm that they still have issues through. I mean, you and I talked about this briefly a little earlier in the show. You still have thoughts. So, I mean, did you ever receive any type of... No. No, yes. the only thing I had, and I thank God I had her, is my wife. Yeah. Uh, my wife is the rock. She, you know, she's a good girl. She's a real good person. And, you know, we, we lean on each other when we need each other. And that's what helped me get through things. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, you know, that's so, so important on it. And, and Rocco, you continue on the way that... Uh, you're going. You sound like you've got your head screwed on in the right direction. There's no doubt about it. Let me hyperlink, as Gar calls it. Let's talk about uh, Bahrain. I believe that's how you pronounce it. That was one of your first deployments out, right? Uh, Bahrain? Yes. Yes, sir. How important is that area strategically to the fleet? Okay, strategically, it's... Uh, you have... Uh, that's, the Central Command is out there. And pretty much while we were there, our whole mission was uh, if anything were to happen in other countries in the Middle East, uh, we would get stood up and we would pack up within you know, 24 hours and uh, go to that area, go to the embassies, secure the embassies, and uh, pretty much uh, beef up security for them and uh, get the Americans out. And that was pretty much our whole uh, mission while we were overseas, my first deployment in Bahrain. And... That area, as I understand it, is the springboard for the Middle East, for uh, the naval fleet, and for any other type of operations, plus for any type of protection that has to take place for oil transports. Is that correct? Uh, yes, sir. We uh, did on-site uh, site security for uh, merchant ships uh, in different countries in the UAE. We would uh, uh, beef up security for them while they were uh, refueling. Um, this was right around the time, that was like 2007, 2008, when the pirating was getting really, really bad uh, around, um, I think it was the Horn of Africa. And uh, mm-hmm. we got stood up plenty of times. We thought we were gonna go out there and go on the oil rigs and hold security uh, off of, I think it was off the coast of Iran. And you know, just mission after mission just kept popping up, popping up, popping up. And we would sit on all these, uh, you know, secret briefs and get all this info and just nothing would happen. Nothing would happen. And uh, the one that we really, really thought we were going, we really thought we were going to end up uh, when the prime minister of, uh, was it, Pakistan? Was assassinated? uh, Right. And that's when we got stuck. We we had a lot of briefs. And so Bahrain, just in general, for that whole area, it's... uh, it's very strategic, you know. It's very strategically uh, mapped out. You know, it's a good place for uh, everything to go down, and it's a good. Do you uh, follow? Start. Do you follow world events? Um, as much as I can, I do. You know, I try to stay out of politics, but I always like to see what's going on and see what my boys might possibly be getting themselves into. Yeah, you know, I, I followed it for years, uh, not to the depth as some people do, but you know, I have a general working knowledge of it, and my I know whole, that Gar, Gar has done a lot of traveling. He was a Marine security guard. And that whole area in through there right now is just a hotbed, and no one really knows who the good guy or the bad guys are. No, and, and you never that's will. That's fascinating. And why, no, you're <laughs> absolutely right. Never will. That's the fascinating thing that a lot of folks over here just don't understand. Right. I mean, they, you know, if you think of a thief in the night, that's your enemy because mm-hmm. they come up to you. You know, they look like everyone else. We've had, you know, Taliban commanders. I've met Taliban commanders, and then when I leave, I get ambushed. And mm-hmm. when when I go back and you find them, you put two and two together. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah, my last tour, I was in a camp unit, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, my other tours, I dealt strictly with the uh, NVA with it, but I, I understand about the insurgency side. It's, it's and it doesn't just stop. Yeah, it just doesn't stop with Taliban. They infiltrate, you know, the Afghan National Army. You know, they infiltrate, you know, just pretty much different resources that we do have. And it's it's very very hard, you know, to fight against, you know, guerrilla warfare and terrorism. Mm-hmm. But yeah. we do what we can, and you know, I think we do a hell of a good job at it. 
Have you thought anything about uh, Homeland Security, something of that nature, which also deals with psychology? I mean, you can dovetail into that. I've, um, you know, I'm still, I'm real, uh, you know, I'm not even out, but I've looked into uh, different programs. Um, there's a program now through, uh, I think it's, uh, it is uh, federal, and they pretty much, they take, the, you know, the psychologists and they deploy them and they go to where the, uh, the service members are and they talk to them out there and that's something i would like to look into you know i i like traveling i'm gonna miss deployments and uh, i think that'll be you know a good way for me to get back out there and you know see the guys you know just not even my guys but you know just yeah, someone no, else's no, I, I understand i understand you know, exactly what you're saying yeah just someone else's kid that you know might be going through a rough time that might just need you know someone to talk to when you get out of uh college and you get your degree with it check into the cia you should be surprised the opportunities that are there for a psychologist. Uh, yeah, that's a good majority of what they do, buddy. I can tell you that. Oh yeah. You know. Oh yeah. I, you know, I have I have a something that's running through my mind because I I'm, I'm I'm transported back when you told me the number of days that you have left, and I was transported back to being in that position where you are as you're getting ready to go out here and 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 transition into the civilian life. I remembered that. Um, I was excited to get out. I was counting the days. I even had a stamp with boots on it that had, you know, X number of days left. And, you know, uh, people walk around, hey, you're so short, you tripped on a dime this morning, and, you know, you're having this conversation. And I remember thinking, wow, I'm, I am Sergeant Green here. I have a top-secret security clearance. I speak Croatian. I, I'm somebody. I've done these biggest things. And looking out into the sea saying, I have no idea what is going to happen with this part of my life, the only thing that I am sure about is my decision to leave the Marine Corps is, in fact, the right decision. And as I think thought about stepping out into that and wondering, I was hit by two things uh, that I remember, two very specific things, that just pure opportunity, meaning that I can craft my life any way that I want. In the Marine Corps, I knew my path. I pretty much knew that this is what I would do. I could map out the numbers of years. I could even look at the pay scale. You know, as long as I stayed healthy and got these marks, I would be this by that and make that. But in the civilian world, I thought as long as I take my training and everything that I do, I can become that. And I don't know what that meant. So I was really struck by um, what my opportunities were. But I was also struck and very much fearful of the disconnect from my buddies and I'm curious Rocco if you feel any of those things at all or what is it when you look out as the on the other side of your EAS when you're no longer allowed to wear the active duty uniform man uh, that's a lot all right uh, <laughs> Gar does it's, like asking those big long high fluting questions <laughs> honestly uh, it's you know I went through that phase where it was just you know what am I going to do next what's next for me you know, I was worried because, you know, when you don't see it on paper, it just, you know, it kind of, it looks, it's overwhelming. You know, I was looking at big picture and it was becoming overwhelming to me. And then I just had to stop and look at it. You know, I looked at it in the sense that, hey, you know, you're getting out, you're with, you know, three other Marines. And honestly, that, that's what helps out a lot for me getting out is I'm with three of my best friends. I've been with one of these guys since boot camp we were in the same platoon i've been with him for the past five years through everything through thick and thin and you know he's my best friend and then the other two i've been with them you know for four and a half years and so it's not that hard for me to get out because you know i have my best friends are there i still talk to my guys and yeah i know no matter what i do even if i were to get out and i just know deep down inside like I'm going to be successful. You know, I have just the drive, the will, you know, such a good support system back home with the family and friends. You know, it's just nothing but success will come from whatever I choose. There's no question about that, my friend. That's a great attitude. There's no question it, about that. It is. You, you've got to remember that the Marine Corps has given you something that, because the Marine Corps is a small organization, very few men ever have. Your dad has it. All of us talking right now have it because we all wore the Marine uniform at one time. They taught you how to be self-sufficient. They taught you how to deal with any given situation. You adjust, you adapt, and you overcome. 
And that's what I'm saying. Like, how can you sit there and you put a final exam in front of me and I'm going to sit there and stress out and worry? I, I have been in worse, you know. Exactly. I, been... <laughs> uh, I don't know. I give my students some final exams and they go, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> hey, John. Yeah. You've been listening to this. That's your boy. Yeah. What's running through your mind? I know he's going to be well. He's He's got those Marines. He's going to be with him. He's also going to the part of the country where he's got family around him. So I'm not I, – I never worry about my son. I, I remember an incident one time when, when um, he was home in Alexis. She was just a little baby, and she went to touch the stove. I told her no. She went to touch it again. I just took two fingers. I just touched the pop of her hand, and she started crying. And Rocco looks at me. He goes, Dan, you've never been that easy on me. I said, I'm raising, you, I'm raising you to be a man, and he is a man. There's yes, no sir. doubt in my mind. My son's a man. He's going to be okay, and if he ever needs help, he knows I, I got his back. You know, that, that means so much. It really, really does. Uh, I, I, can't even, I can't even relate to that because my father died when I was two years old. Oh. I didn't have that bond that you and your son have that I know you have. Just listening to both of you, John, you're a deputy sheriff. Do yes. you find that the discipline that you received in the Marine Corps puts you heads and shoulders? Now, this is just us talking, so you you can you can brag a little bit. Puts you head and shoulders above the guys that you're with now, unless they had military background training. It does. It, it, it does. It's amazing how you how you can look at people and. and you scratch your head and say, how do you think that way? What what makes you think, you know, that way? And a lot of it is maturity. Um, and then the people you deal with, your customers, so-called customers, where, you know, my son, when he was, you know, eight years old, had more maturity and was more of a man than a lot of these people I come across to love here. Yeah. It's sad. It, it really is sad. Nope, nope, I, I understand with it. I really do with it. What prompted you to, uh, I know you always wanted to, from a child, going to the law enforcement side, but why the deputy sheriff side? Just an opportunity arose? Have you ever considered doing any of the Homeland Security work or any border well, patrol I, learning? When I, first, when I first got out of the Marine Corps, you know, we moved to Kissimmee, and I just did some odd-end jobs, just getting my feet wet, and I ended up being a dispatcher for an organization in Poinciana. It was... Um, they, they had EMTs and, and their own security. And a lot of times the deputies would come in and, and just stop by, you know, use, use the head and say hey. And some of them, one of them was uh, Sergeant Major Joe Randall. He did uh, several tours in, in Vietnam. And I was impressed. I was really impressed with these guys. I said, they were pretty squared away. So I said, you know what, I'm going to put myself to the academy and I'm going to get hired by them. And, you know, I, went, I was working full time, went to the academy full time. And you know, ended up getting um, hired by the sheriff's office. You know, well, I, I wish you the best in your career, and I also wish you a safe time in your career because, basically, you put your life on the line every day. Yes. And that's something that, uh, and let's just say civilians. I'm not referring to people that you know, military or non-military, but but you're a deputy, and you, you know, when you have a domestic disturbance, you got to be there. Right. If there's a B and E, you got to be there. And, you know, as, as things go on and on and on, you continuously put yourself out in harm's way. So my hat's off to you and my prayers go to you. And hopefully on it, uh, you know, things work out for you with this. Rocco, you, you're fascinating in some of the things that you've done. And your life is just basically starting. You're a young guy. How old are you now? 20, 24, 25 maybe? Or I'm, I'm 22. 23. Holy crap. 23. Okay. No, I'm, I'm 22. He's 22. Oh, 22. He went in when he was 17 years old. Oh, when oh, he went in? Man. Yeah, he was 17 when he went in. Oh, so you had to sign for him, huh? Oh, yeah. I got I got a lot of heat from Mama. She didn't know about it. Oh, 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 oh. well, I want to thank you for that family combat action. That's a lot of stones there, big man. I can deal with combat, but a pissed-off old lady, no. <laughs> Oh, he's telling the truth with it. She drawn quarter in mine. So. <laughs> I bet you you still pay that price. Yeah, she she brings it up. She's still there. <laughs> hey, I just gotta say one thing. This is the first show where I'm not the one who earned the explicit pig. Oh, I know it. Look, I tell you what. I bought a car once without permission. I'm still paying for that. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, my Lord. One of the things I like to ask and, and toss this thing around, I, we, we say this to our guests, we, we put together kind of roundtables together, but we had a guest one time that was a fellow by the name of Ted Harden, and we had Ted as he was getting ready from civilian life to transition into the Army, and then we asked him to come back on the show once he was in the Army to kind of give us a kind of a, a perspective. This is what I think it's going to be like, and then, wow, the, the ether wore off, and this is what it is like. Rocco, I would like to ask you, and of course, Dad, I'd like you to be on board here if, if you're willing to do that. Maybe in a few months as you transition out and talk a little bit about with us about what is it like to be that combat veteran with the experience. My Lord, you're 23. You're getting ready to start your game all over again. Can we pick you up in the civilian world on the streets of wherever you land up? Of course. Excellent. I'm, I can do this all day. I, I love talking you know, to veterans. I, I just I love doing this. You know, it's just. You know, I, I haven't met Mr. Johnson. I've never met Mr. Christian or yourself, but, you know, just, you know, it's the bond between us. You know, we don't have to meet one another. We're just sitting here having a conversation, you know, talking to a laptop. Rocco, you're my brother. You don't have to call me yeah. Mr. Christian. Yeah, no, I, I would call you Mr. <laughs> Christian. <laughs> but, you know, it's just it's just that way. And I I can do this, uh, of course. And, you know, if whatever you yeah. guys need, if it's a year from now, if you want to talk to me, if it's five years from now, whatever, you know, it's yeah, out there. Yeah. This is an idea for us. Um, we're trying to get a, a veterans in college type show going sometime here in the near future. Maybe we have uh, have Rocco come back when he's had a couple of months of school and talk about that transition there. Love yeah, that. that. That would be a very interesting conversation, I'm sure. I, I would love that opportunity. One of the things that we're doing here at Stand at Ease is we're um, – trying to build we're, we're early on in the program we've had some just amazing guests such as yourselves and we're so pleased that you know you guys are willing to come on here and share with us we're trying to put together a bit of a network and put together some different shows from different perspectives i mean i know for a fact that i am just absolutely stellar in what i do and, John, <laughs> and jim and david we're the best that there is right but we oh, don't. We, you, you, you won't hear me say anything different. No. But we don't. Whether have it's true a, or not doesn't matter. You won't hear me say anything different. But we just don't have enough of a voice and enough of an understanding to put that thing together. So we're putting together uh, some shows that we've got uh, some some family members and some and some wives that are going to be putting together some shows for us, some wives and and you know you're on record now as maybe you'd be willing to. To toss that thing around a little bit with David, talk about young veterans in college uh, a program, and and talk about what that's like, and uh, if you're willing to offer, we're willing to accept. So it's it's a good thing. Yes, sir. I mean, it's it's out there. If if that's what you want, I I'm all for it. Excellent, you know? fellas. After an otherwise shaky and completely my fault start. Uh, we've obtained a, uh, a, a end of a show. I promise you, I will edit it so it's synchronous and uh, and, and excellent. But I really want to thank you guys for coming on board with us today. I, this is this is always an interesting show. And when I when one of the things that uh, we had a conversation with when when Jim and I started talking about this project, and then David brought David on board was when, when you start now this is this is serious when you when when we started getting into some of those darker parts of what it's like to be a marine that only those people who have been down those roads have been down that you Rocco and Jim have been down that I, we would trust Jim and we would trust other folks like that to to help navigate through that and um, this is this is one of those shows where I appreciated watching the two of you guys that were there thank you yeah, thank you very much. And John and Rocco, thank you for your service. You know, if that means. Oh, no, no, Christian, thank you. Thank you for, you know, giving me the opportunity to, um, you know, be there with you. And uh, even though we were, you know, different sides of the um, uh, of the comm shop, but to be uh, there. We integrated well. <laughs> <laughs> we integrated well. You taught me yeah. a lot about radio, and I still use some of that stuff that I learned from you and Sergeant Wass. Ah, standing. Um, if you, uh, a thought for you guys in the future about a, a show topic. And as I'm sitting here and I'm listening to, to uh, James and my son and my vets, to be able to maybe bring in some Marines who who spent a long time in the Corps but never had combat, and see and see how they're what, what, what they what they have to go through. 
You know, oh we're, yes. We're, There's we're, a lot of similarity there too. So here's, gentlemen. Here's I like to ask you. I like you guys to stick around after we close this thing out here. But um, I'm gonna we're gonna say our say our do. But we need to, David. We need to get some shout out going here. Sure, we got a couple of shout outs this week uh, again. Uh, check out the Art of War project. They they just completed a fundraiser to send a send a couple of photographers over to Iraq this summer to capture some of the graffiti that has that'll probably be disappearing soon. Um, I also like to put a shout out for next week's show or the next episode, which is going to be Side of Helms with the Helping Hands Worldwide Organization. I spoke with her on the phone the other night, and she's excited about being on our show and getting some advertisement out. And I'm excited to talk to her because she's doing amazing things, not just with Marines, but also with all a bunch of other service members and veterans. Um, also check our shows out on standardease.org. Or follow us on Facebook. You can find us again at just typing in Stanities on the Facebook search uh, search bar. So for my buddy on the left, uh, David, we got Jim over to the right. My two new friends up the middle here, John and Rocco. I'm Garland, and uh, I want to thank you guys for, for tuning in.